Well, we continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount with some very familiar passages today. I uh, know that you've heard these often. We're going to allow them to speak to our heart one more time. Let's be standing, please. So we hear the words recorded in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. Jesus is speaking. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more, will he not much more clothe you, O you, you of little faith? It's hard not to say, O ye of little faith, isn't it? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Brian. I have uh, two confessions to make today. I'm going to make the first one right now, and then I'll make, save the other one till the end of the sermon. But I got to confess to you that when I looked on my preaching schedule and saw the Sermon on the Mount coming up, I was kind of like, oh, no. It's such familiar words. And I do keep a schedule of preaching so that I don't just preach the same things over and over and try to go through most of the Bible over a nine-year period is really how it goes. And But it just seems like every time I turn around, there's the Sermon on the Mount. And in preaching, you're always trying to bring freshness and new eyes to Scripture. And how do you do that? with scripture that all of you have read so many times, has been discussed so often, and I just felt the challenge. Well, I have to confess to you that even though I've been through it many times, I remember in college I took a class, we had to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know how many times I've repeated it. This trip through has been special to me. I don't know what it's done for you, But I am just so grateful to have one more time sat down and let Jesus sit on that mount and speak to me. It's been meaningful to me to think in terms of what kind of commitments we make when we decide we truly want to be 
citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That I want to be a kingdom person. And I want to do things like people who are a part of God's kingdom do them. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, if you remember, that in order to be a person of God's kingdom, you have to commit yourself to being a person who forms, maintains, nurtures, and repairs relationships. Do you remember when we talked about that? That, that if you truly want to be one of God's children, that this is a real concern of yours. That you care about how you are getting along with other people, and especially those who are really close to you. We, you care about when anger gets involved in a relationship, and you try to do something about it. You care when there's an injustice done in the relationship, and someone's done something, whether it's you or the other person, you care enough to address that and to try to fix it, because kingdom people are all about relationships. Kingdom people are all about reconciling to each other. Why? Because God reconciled himself to us. He cared enough about us that when we ran off and left him, he was willing to pay the price of sending his son, dying on the cross, in order to fix this thing. He could have, like I have done so often when relationships have gone sour, just thrown up his hand and say, well, forget that person. But he came, paid the price, and rebuilt the relationship. And therefore, he sends us out as ministers of reconciliation, people who care about relationships with others. And one more thing, I don't mean to re-preach that whole sermon, but, but one other thing that we talked about there is that the relationships that are, we are the most intimate in, the closest to, that's where we work the most because that's where we learn truly how to relate to God. Those of you who are married, it's in working on your marriage and bringing to your marriage all that you can and enjoying that relationship and nurturing that relationship. That's what gives you the ability to enjoy your relationship with God. That's where you learn what that's all about. It's really funny. Sometimes we we can just go out and, and live detached lives from other people and then wonder why God and I don't feel close to each other. Well, we haven't learned how to reconcile. We haven't learned how to nurture relationships. Well, that was all that first. Last week, we talked about how if we are kingdom people, that we are committed to being folks who creatively try to bring good into every evil situation. Remember that? Anytime something bad happens, we're kingdom folks, and we hate evil, and we fight evil. You know, one of the great myths of Christianity is that as a disciple of Jesus, we're patsies. We just roll over and play dead. We're pacifists. No, no, no. We're fighters. We want to fight evil. But the question is, what do we fight it with? And in our personal lives, so often our sinful nature is drawn to fighting evil with evil. You slap me, I'm going to slap you. You say something about me that I don't appreciate, you can count on it. I'm going to say something about you. You know, just back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus says, no, you overcome evil, but you fight it with good. And wow, I'm still challenged with that thought because that takes work. 
That takes creativity, like God, the great creator who made everything. Sometimes something bad's going on, and it would be so easy just to throw something bad right at it, but i got to think of something good. I've got to think of something loving, something that I can fight this thing with that is godly. That's why Jesus said pray about it. Pray for your enemies. Pray for the way you treat your enemy. You're going to have to figure out, you're going to have to spend some time on your knees sometimes to bring good into some of the things that are going on around you. Well, okay. Well, those are the last two sermons. We've got a little bit of time, but let's preach one more, okay? If we're going to be kingdom people, if we truly want to live as God's children, then we are committed to living our lives Fearlessly. Did you hear me? We are committed to living fearless lives. Now, that's tough to do. It was tough in Jesus' day. It's tough in our day. Because it just seems like we as human beings love to be afraid. And it seems like the power structures that build up around us love to encourage us to be afraid. What are you supposed to be afraid of right now? It changes month to month, year to year. I think right now when I turn on the television, I find out that our government is broke. Everything's falling apart. It's awful. It's terrible. Be very, very afraid. Is anyone else hearing that message? You all right? Well, that's okay. A few months ago, the message was, The illegal aliens are going to ruin our nation. Do you remember that one? Don't hear much about it right now, but but for a while we were supposed to be very afraid of all the people coming across the border because they were trashing our economy, they were taking advantage of all everything that we had to offer, and it was just going to ruin our nation. And we needed to do something about it. Be very afraid of that. Before that, it was the terrorists, and that one still keeps going on, but, you know, the terrorists that are coming over, and then all of a sudden we find out that they're already here. You may be in the grocery store standing in line next to one of them. You need to be afraid. I got an email the other day (laughs) that was so hate-filled. Well, I won't comment on that so much, but it was about our president. The line that really made me stop since I was thinking about this passage is toward the end, after reading all these terrible things that he was accused of, uh, I read at the end, these things should strike fear into the heart of every Christian. And I thought, that's funny. I was just reading where Jesus told us, not to be afraid of anything. You know, there's a lot of don'ts in the Bible. There's a lot of things where we're just said, don't do that. Which of them are the most important? Well, there's some that have already been mentioned by Jesus in this sermon that are awfully important. For example, he quoted the commandment, do not kill which is really do not murder, by the way. Uh, There are several Hebrew words, there are several Greek words for killing. And Jesus was specific, Moses was specific, the Ten Commandments, and Jesus said, don't commit murder. 
How many of you think that committing murder is a bad idea? Well, yeah, we'd probably sort of come up with that on our own, wouldn't we? But Jesus told us not to. Do you know how many times the Bible tells us not to commit murder? Less than 10. Now, that doesn't mean it's not, you know, a commandment. It's up about 10 times, close to 10 times, God said, don't do it. We say, okay, I'm not going to commit murder because God said not to do it. What about adultery? And we recognize as we value marriage that adultery is very destructive to marriage. It just breaks those bonds. And what, what do we do with that? Well, we're against that. Well, why are we against it? Well, God, for one thing, told us that it's wrong. Don't do it. How many times did God tell us in Scripture not to commit adultery? Almost 20 times on that one. We can find that commandment in one form or another, don't do that. Well, okay, that's pretty serious. We understand. God told us almost 20 times, don't do it. I think we shouldn't do it. Now, how many times in Scripture do you think that God has said, do not fear, don't be afraid, and don't worry? Let's try 80 times. About 80 times, God said, settle down. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Don't worry. Now, probably the most familiar passage about not worrying is the one that we just read, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful passage? It just rings in our hearts and in our ears. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't, do not worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own troubles each day. You know, just those lines are just soothing to us. And I think there's a good reason for that. I think the Holy Spirit is active when we read God's Word. And it's not the only place that the Spirit works, but the Spirit certainly does work through the reading of the Word of God. And as we read that passage, it calms us, it assures us, it just makes us feel good, doesn't it? Now, I prepared a slide here about worrying based on this passage, and I wanted to show you what are the things, that's the little worrier down there in the bottom, Uh, what are the things now that Jesus put on the not to worry list, okay? He gives us a list in this passage that we are not supposed to worry about these things. What are they? Number one, about our food, right? Okay, number two, about what we're going to drink. And number three, what we're not supposed to worry about is our clothing. I like that. You know, there are some passages I read I think I will never, ever be able to get to a point where I can be obedient to that. I got this one nailed. Now, I really, I'm serious. Now, because, you know, I have not, I can't ever think about really worrying that I was going to starve to death. Now, some of you may have been through an experience like that, but I have not. I have never woke up at night thinking, I don't know if I'm going to have anything to eat tomorrow or not. I don't worry about what, what I'm going to drink. Now, now, it's true, I may have this little picky thing. I may not get exactly what I want to drink, but I have not a care in the world that there is going to be something for me to get my liquids into my body today and tomorrow and the day after that. I don't worry about it. Now, it's true, I don't maybe always have all the clothes I would like to have, but that's awfully picky. I have yet to worry that I'm going to die of exposure because I don't have the clothes I need. 
My, my, my worries about food, drink, and clothing are just the opposite. I hope I don't eat too much, you know? I hope I don't, I, I got to get rid of some clothes in my closet so I can put some new clothes in there. I just do not worry about those things. And I don't think you do either. So this is good. We got it. Now let's all rejoice because of the things he didn't put on the list. Yeah, he made his list of what we're not supposed to worry about. Well, look what's not on that list. Paying the bills. He didn't say, Tommy, quit worrying about paying your bills. That's freeing, isn't it? Like, All right. You know, he, I don't feel guilty about worrying about paying bills. Jesus didn't say, don't worry about paying your bills. Also, he didn't say, don't worry about your retirement. You know, when it seemed like when you were younger and you started putting this money aside, boy, when it gets time to retire, you're going to have all this money, you're going to travel, you're going to do these things. Wasn't counting on the economy tanking, you know, interest rates going to less than 1%. Wasn't counting on Social Security going broke. You know, what do you do now? So, okay, he did not say, don't worry about your retirement, so it's fair game. Wake up in the middle of the night, wonder if you're ever going to get there. He didn't say, don't worry about your health, you know, he just said, food, drink, and clothing. So we're free on that one too. So you're free to worry about your body falling apart, whether or not this disease is going to get you, what's going to happen with all of this. Political concerns, let the television folks tell you, you know, be afraid, be afraid, because he didn't say anything about that, you know, about worrying about all this political stuff. Or what people think of me on a more personal note, he didn't say don't worry about what people think of you here, you know, you got just food, drink, and clothing, we got the list down. Or whatever else that it is you're worried, feel free to worry about everything else as long as you don't worry about food and drink and clothing. Am I selling this very well? (laughs) You know, while food, drink, and clothing are not high on our worry list, Jesus was talking to some folks who honestly didn't know if they were going to have something to eat the next day or not. Remember when he fed 5,000 people on five loaves? And we think, well, those, those people were so foolish, they went out and they didn't bring any lunch with them. Well, guess what? Some people may not have had any lunch to bring with them. And so he's talking to people where they really don't know. And they've only got one set of clothes. And when those clothes wear out, where are they going to get some more? What are they going to do when winter comes and they're cold? So he's talking to people who had every right to worry about some very important things in life like food and drink and clothing. And to them, he says, don't sweat it. Do not worry about those things. So don't you think to us, he might move over to this other side and say, let's not worry about those things either. Now, he didn't say don't address them. You know, these things here, he didn't say, okay, just sit back, don't do any work. God will bring you food and drop in your lap. Or, you know, God, he didn't say don't do what you need to do to provide. And he didn't say don't address these needs over here either. But what he's saying is don't let them eat you up. Don't make these who you are. Don't make these your God as he started this out, he's saying you can only serve one God. And who is it going to be? 
Well, it's time for my other confession. I'm a worrier. I don't know of any other thing that's said to be wrong in the Bible that I struggle as much with as worry. And being afraid that things are not going to go the way I think they should go and they need to go. That everything can fall apart. I am one of these people that will wake up occasionally at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking, oh no, what about this? What about that? Will this ever be good again? Can I fix this? Can I get this? Can I do this? And on and on and on. I don't know how many other worriers we have out there today. But what I want to do is share with you not only the fact that Jesus said don't do it, but maybe some advice too that comes through Scripture on how to address it. The first passage that really is helpful to me, and I hope it is helpful to you, is found in the context of this passage. You know, we pull this out, we sing the little song that we sang before the sermon, and, and but sometimes we forget that this came in the context of Jesus talking about worry and about letting the cares of life eat away our life. Whereas Jesus came and said, I came so that you can live and enjoy life, have life abundant. So it's in the context of saying don't worry about it that he gives us some advice on how to fight worry. And what he says is, seek first the kingdom of God. That has to become, again, our priority. That we think of ourselves first and foremost as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we turn our attention away from, from things that are going on around us so much and letting those pull us down and turn back and saying, but what is it like in the kingdom of heaven? What are the concerns of God? What is God doing? And the really good thing is that when we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first, and that is our primary allegiance, that the kingdom of heaven, it's already been told us, it will never fall. It will never crumble. It's going to win. And if that's our primary allegiance and where our heart is and where our real citizenship is, a little sidebar that I sort of got in a little trouble with after first service, but I'm going to do it again. Why not? I like to be in trouble. You know our heritage? Uh, anybody ever heard of a guy named David Lipscomb? David Lipscomb was, um, was a great minister, preacher, college president, founded a college, all of that in the earlier years before the, and during the Civil War time. And he was very much a proponent, as were most of the churches of Christ in the South, of pacifism. They taught that since you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you don't exercise any rights in the citizenship in the kingdom of America. You don't even vote You don't serve in the service. You don't do any of those things because your allegiance is higher. Well, I'm not wanting to go back there. I'm just pointing out that's a historical fact, okay? That that's what we used to teach our people is that your, your, uh, your allegiance to the kingdom of heaven is higher than any other allegiance. I do think, though, that it cut down on a lot of worry if we see ourselves, first of all, as citizens of the kingdom, and second of all, as citizens 
of the United States. Is that too bold? I think that's Scripture. Again, we are called upon to address and to support and to be a part of our earthly government. But if you want to cut down on your worries, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, That means righteousness in this uh, context is talking about kingdom life, how you live in the kingdom. And Jesus says, if you want to cut down on your worrying, look at your own lifestyle and what it is you're doing. Work on those relationships. Bring that creative good into the evil. Uh, Practice some spiritual disciplines. Uh, Watch out for your immoralities in your life. You know, make sure that your life is, is conforming to the shape of a kingdom life. Let that be your attention. Let that be your primary focus of living your life, is that you're living it as one within the kingdom of God. That cuts down on a lot of worries, because a lot of worries come through our immoralities anyway. The things that we do our own way, that we think are, we can make this thing work, when it's not the kingdom way of doing it, and God told us what the kingdom way is, because that's what works, that's what's effective. Effective. So that's the first thing, or the first passage that comes to my mind is if you want to really work on your worrying, get the kingdom of heaven back up at the top of the list. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Another passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is a great three o'clock in the morning passage. I had a friend one time that told me he, he, kept getting, he kept waking up in the middle of the night. And I said, ah, I do that too, you know, and blah, blah, blah. He said, well, you know, it finally dawned on me that God was waking me up to talk to me. And he wanted me to talk to him. And I was thinking, and I was waking up and worrying, you know. <laughs> and I'm the preacher. <laughs> Here's a passage that when those worries start coming, that you consciously say, God, I'm going to give these to you. Now, the first times you do that, it doesn't work very well, I have to warn you. Because the first thing, times you do that, you, you get your, your cares and your worries and you hold them up to God and say, here they are. And God's trying to pull them out of your hand and you're still like this, you know, there they are. But keep doing it. And eventually you're going to turn them loose. And you're going to say, I can't do anything about this. Here, I'm going to give it to you. And the last passage is one that comes out of Colossians chapter 3, and it really starts here and goes on to the end, really, of that chapter. But it talks about having the peace of Christ in our hearts, which we really like to have. And then he throws in that little last line, be thankful. And all through this passage, the idea of being thankful and having gratitude just keeps popping up. If you want to read this one, just start on 315 and keep reading for a few more verses, and you'll be amazed. Do everything in the name of the Lord and wrap it all in thanksgiving. It really does matter when we're grateful people because if your heart is on what God has given you and done for you, you have a lot less time to worry, a lot less energy to worry about what's not right and what you don't like. That little old song we've sung for years, Count Your Many Blessings, sounds simplistic. It's not simplistic, it's just simple truth. That whenever we are thankful for all that we have and all that God has done, and we spend our time listing those and giving Him thanks for those, then the worry 
begins to ease away. Confessions of a warrior, there they are. I hope that you've heard the voice of Jesus as he comes to you and says, live your lives without fear. Yeah, there's things that you need to work on. There's priorities. There's things to be done in this life. But just don't be afraid. Gird up your loins. The Christians face evil with the armor of God. Stand and fight, but stand and fight fearlessly. Let's stand and sing.